Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast. I'm your host today, Christian Curran, and I'm joined by my co-host, Olivia Lynch, to discuss a recent Court of Federal Claims case that has interesting implications for awardee standing in bid protests. The case is Serious Federal CDW Government Countertrade Products and Blue Tech Inc. versus the United States. And as you may be able to surmise from the title, it involves a multi-party protest of a GSA blanket purchase agreement in this case. So I'm going to walk through a little bit of the background here and kind of tee this issue up. This case came to the court on two separate motions, one for preliminary injunctive relief by disappointed bidders and motions to dismiss by defendant interveners that allege that three of the plaintiffs lacked standing. And for purposes of our discussion today, we're going to focus on the motions to dismiss due to lack of standing because they get into the interesting issues surrounding awardee standing. So generally speaking, under under typical circumstances, the rule is that an awardee lacks standing to protest at GAO or the court. However, there have been notable exceptions at the court where particular circumstances have led the court to find that awardees of a multiple award type contract can file a protest if they can show a direct economic interest that is different from the interest that they have rights to as an awardee. And the most notable recent case discussing this issue is the PAE Parsons Global Logistics decision from September 2019, where the court found uh, that PAE Parsons had standing to protest IDIQ awards to other awardees, despite the fact that it had received an IDIQ contract because the contracts that it were challenging were more valuable than, than the contract that it had. So in this particular case, the RFQ provided for multiple award BPAs for hardware and software goods and ancillary services, and that led to multiple awards and some of the disappointed bidders here then filing the protests. Olivia, can you give us further color on the, the specifics of this particular case? Sure. So, so this is an, a BPA procurement issued by GSA in early 2019, the second generation information technology blanket purchase agreement program. And it was going to be used as a mandatory use vehicle to replace NetSense 2 products IDIQ contract. And as Christian mentioned, the RFQ provided that the agency would award nine BPAs, but reserved the right to, to make more at the agency's discretion. So the crime here with respect to protests is that in November 2019, GSA made awards, but they were protested at GAO. Corrective action was immediately taken. Uh, in May 2020, awards were reissued. Again, there were protests at GAO. At that point, GSA amended the solicitation um, with revised quotes going in August 2020. Ultimately, 27 quotes were received. And in February 2021, GSA awarded nine BPAs. Now, with respect to teaming, the, the RFQ did not preclude individual companies from participating in more than one quote, and so many companies were members of more than one team. And what happened here is that three of the four protesters that challenged the February 2021 awards at the Court of Federal Claims were members of winning teams. Countertrade quoted as a team member, but was also a member of another team that obtained a BPA award, both Serious Federal and Blue Tech were members of winning teams. The only protester who submitted a quote as a team lead but was not a member of any winning team was CDWG. 
so following the, the, the February 2021 BPA awards, these four protesters found themselves at the Court of Federal Claims. And by March 22nd, you know, there was a hearing on the motions for dismissal, as well as the motions for preliminary injunction. So with respect to the motions to dismiss, those were only filed by defendant interveners, i.e. awardees of other BPAs. The government didn't make these same dismissal arguments. And what these defendant interveners argued was that the plaintiff awardees lack standing because three of the four were members of winning teams. They went to the definition of standing and said, in order to establish standing, the plaintiffs have to show that they are actual bidders with a direct economic interest in the procurement. Argument was that plaintiff awardees lacked a direct economic interest because they had already received awards by virtue of their participation on winning teams. So Christian, how does the court view this argument regarding the plaintiff's participation on winning teams? Thanks, Olivia. The court rejected the, the plaintiff's notion here that there was some sort of blanket prohibition on the plaintiff awardees protests because they were they were participating on winning teams. And and what the court went to is the, the kind of more recent law on awardee standing, noting that there is no such blanket prohibition at the court that that notion has been, quote, soundly rejected, end quote, citing the National Air Cargo decision from 2016, which found that an awardee could challenge awards to other IDIQ awardees. They had established, in that case, a direct economic interest in the awardee pool, as well as the, the PAE Parsons case from 2019, where the court found that awardees may have standing where they're challenging more valuable awards under the same multiple award IDIQ contract. So with that color, the court put aside the general argument that just by being on a winning team that you're an awardee and, and that you lack standing. And it's important to note here that, you know, defendant interveners kind of went to the the classic playbook on awardee standing cases. And, and by that, I mean the lines of cases at the court that dig into and reject protests by awardees that are basically challenging the terms of their own award or the terms of their own contract. And under those cases, the court's rationale is that those types of awardees lack standing because they're basically trying to disguise the CDA action as a protest and avail themselves under the court's Tucker Act jurisdiction. And the court has clearly rejected attempts there to invoke standing. Okay, so so did the fact that this was a BPA procurement with multiple CTAs involved have an impact on the court's decision? Yes, Olivia, it did, absolutely. One of the things that the court pointed out here was that defendant interveners argued that because the plaintiff awardees were already on winning teams, that their economic interest was too speculative to to get standing here. And, and the court really didn't like that argument and, and thought it was kind of a double standard. And the court pointed out that the fact that the interveners were allowed to intervene in order to protect their economic interests as team leads of, of CTA certainly suggests that being a team lead is of enough value to, to protect your interest as an intervener. And so the court said, quote, it is thus hard to accept 
that defendant interveners can have a sufficient interest in defending their award as a team lead while arguing that the plaintiff awardees do not, end quote. So that, that pretty much encapsulates what the court thought there. And, and it's important color, I think, to kind of understand, you know, how a CTA works. Um, and, and essentially, you know, the, C, the CTAs are a little bit different than a regular teaming agreement. They're, they're regulated under GSA regulations. And the CTAs themselves, you know, are, are, are done between the parties and can have different terms. The one main difference is the CTA, and I think this is what the defendant interveners were trying to, to hook on to, was that, you know, all the parties have, have privity with the government. And while that is the case, the court noted that the awards themselves here were made to the CTA team leads. And the way the RFQ was structured, it made clear that the team leads had control here, that they could add and remove members, which really meant that, you know, just because you're on a team doesn't mean you have a solidified, undissolvable interest going forward. And so the court keyed in on that, I think, in distinguishing this situation from the traditional awardee standing case. Thanks, Christian. Uh, and, and we'll just note that uh, the court also denied the preliminary injunction motions at the same time that the court denied the dismissal motions. But as you can tell from our discussion today, these awardee standing issues have continued to evolve at the court, and it is important for contractors to stay on top of this area of law so that they know how to protest in situations like this. That's all we have for you today. We will, of course, keep you posted on future developments with awardee standing and other key bid protest decisions. As always, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.